All right. Hello and welcome to the Launch Notes podcast. I'm Blake Thorne from Launch Notes and thrilled to be joined today by Tushar Kirtani. Tushar is VP of Product Management and Operations at Kevil. He's also led teams at Pocket and participated as a fellow in the esteemed On Deck program, among other exciting things. Really looking forward to diving into Tushar's journey into product management, what he's learned along the way. Tushar, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks, Blake. Thanks for having me. I'd love, uh, maybe we could start, uh, you could give me a little overview of your path into uh, your path into product. Yes, I'm uh, happy to. So I've been at Kevl, uh leading the product management discipline for about two years now. Uh, prior to that, I actually worked at one of Kevl's customers, Pocket, uh, where I was there for seven years, kind of growing uh, the business side. And then prior to that, I worked at Bridgewater Associates uh, Hedge Fund out in Connecticut. So it's been quite a journey to kind of get to where I am. Cool. And we were um, we were just talking um, before before recording here, and you'd mentioned that you um, have a background in finance before you got into product work. And yeah, would love to would love to hear how you how you found your path from finance into product, kind of how you made that transition. Because I think folks, you know, products. A very hot space. It's a hot career, and a lot of folks who are in sort of adjacent or other departments um, maybe have their eye on product, but don't quite know how to make the transition. Um, what did that, you know, what did that journey look like for you? Yeah, so I think you know, I think Bridgewater was a great place to kind of be early in my career. I was there a little over five years, and honestly, it was about customer service and kind of analytics and. What kept me there were, were the people and like the problems we were uh, working on day in and day out uh, to help explain how Bridgewater was making its investments and why uh, performance was what it was. Um, ultimately, what led me to start exploring other careers was what I was passionate about, right? So like when I went home, I wasn't reading about the stock market. I was reading much more about what was going on in startups and TechCrunch at the time. You know, and I actually had a computer science degree, which I wasn't really using. But what it led me to realize was I wanted to be much more close to folks that were pioneering new products, getting them into market. And so I tried to find opportunities for companies that were looking to um, essentially because I didn't have any background in product. I had to come up with a project that would let me prove my worth. So I went to Duke um, and reached out to a bunch of Duke people in the Bay Area and got connected to somebody who was looking to do a monetization kind of a exercise. Um, there was a consumer startup called Pocket, um, which is where I wound up spending the next seven and a half years. But it really started with me thinking about what are the projects and skills that companies need but may not be thinking about prioritizing as a full-time role. And I was able to kind of pitch myself as a consultant, turn that into kind of like a part-time internship and then joined full-time in 2014. Very cool. That's a great, um, that's a great, very sort of very tactical um, path that I think a lot of folks could uh, duplicate, frankly, like actually having a specific project in mind that you thought, Hey, I've got some skill set around this. Let me go pitch a slice of work or like one initiative that I could help someone with rather than, 
hey, I want to be a PM. What can you do for me? Like you kind of took the, you know, kind of started with the work. Um, that's, that's a great, uh, a, a great story. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing I would reemphasize is that it's really, really easy to apply to jobs or send, um, you know, kind of, well, it's not really that easy, right? It takes effort to come up with a cover letter, <laughs> yeah. get it yeah. into the applicant tracking system, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's really easy to maybe stand apart, right? And standing mm-hmm. apart, I think, takes a little bit of effort. But if you want to work at a company, going the extra mile to, if it's in product, um, yeah. looking at the product and being like, hey, I think you know we could improve the onboarding flow. Or I noticed this was a little janky. Like I have some ideas, would love to share kind of what I've learned can really set you apart. And I feel yeah. like for somebody who didn't have that product experience, that was a good wedge to get into the door. Um, and then, you know, just learning and kind of growing from there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great advice. And especially in, you know, in, in B2B SaaS where we both work now and a lot of our audience does like these products have gotten so much more accessible than they used to be either, you know, even five, 10, certainly 20 plus years ago where, it used to be if you wanted to get your hands on like a, a B2B enterprise software product, like you had to be inside like an enterprise organization. You couldn't just like go on the website and sign up for a trial and play around with it. But like the actual like nuts and bolts of so many products are so accessible. Like you can jump on, you can check out free plans, trials, like even someone who is a student or breaking in from another industry can get really get their hands dirty on a specific product and build up some expert level fluency with that product and, and come to that team with that. And, you know, I've just seen when, when folks do that, it's like the, the company kind of rolls out the welcome mat for people who have showed, taken that initiative. Yeah. And I think that you, you're highlighting one of the big trends that I've seen, right. Making the transition from a consumer uh, company to a B2B SaaS company, which mm-hmm. is that it used to be that the bar for design user experience, things like that were so radically different, right? When I think about kind of the interfaces people have to work with in enterprise, it's like, you know, the hundred text fields that you're going through, it makes no sense. Like Mm -hmm. um, versus now kind of the, I would say some of the best B2B companies like Stripe, you know, I don't know if I put Jira in there, but like, you know, the experience (laughs) is really, really good um, in terms of, how easy it is, what the design bar is. And I think there's starting to become a lot of overlap between the product attributes and expectations amongst customers of B2B companies of what they expect their product to do. Oh, 100%. Yeah, the bar has definitely been raised. And on top of all that, you're dealing with, you know, even more senior decision makers at enterprises now are digital natives. They're folks who have been using software and technology and web products on the consumer side, basically their whole lives. Um, and that really sets the quality bar when they go into the workplace. It's not like I'm take off my consumer hat and I'm going to put on my enterprise hat and look at the software from a totally different perspective. Like in a lot of ways, the consumer bar is sort of setting the standards, um, and, you know, it, it's up to the sort of B2B side uh, products to keep up. I'd love to dive yeah. into that more. I think there's a ton of, there's, there's a ton of great lessons I was just mentioning on, on marketing side. Uh, we're always looking to uh, consumer as sort of like the gold standard of, you know, marketing, advertising, 
um, and trying to kind of play catch up um, on the B2B side. You had some great, uh, on the product side, you had some great experience uh, now transitioning to B2B. Um, I'd love to hear, you know, what that was like, and then maybe any, any specific tactics, practices, philosophies from consumer products that you're now aiming to implement uh, on the B2B front? Yeah, um, absolutely. Good, good question. I think for me, the biggest overlap between the consumer side and the B2B side has been just in the principle of understand your customer or understand mm-hmm. your users, right? Like their intrinsic motivations, what problems are they trying to solve? Like how is your software helping them? You know, in on the consumer side, it was for Pocket, it was like around productivity, right? How do you get more out of the time uh, that you have when you uh, are overloaded with content all day? Um, and for Kevl, right, we really enable customers to build the custom ad experience that they want without being beholden to the platforms like Facebook and Google that kind of impose rules. So at the end of the day, I think the biggest overlap so far has been really understanding our customer motivations, right? Some customers are really motivated about not building on Google. Other people just want to make money, right? And they're looking at, you know, how do I make this the most native ad experience in my app? And being able to segment and understand your customer base is kind of like your B2B superpower, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times you have your customers telling you in the B2B space what they want, right? Like this thing is broken. I have yeah. this workflow and I needed to work with that. Um, and on the consumer side, they tell you stuff, but they don't really mean it, right? Yeah. I remember when we introduced ads as a monetization opportunity in Pocket, a lot of cust- users wrote in saying like, oh, I'm never going to use Pocket again. But the reality Mm -hmm. is, is like ads is kind of the monetization model for the internet. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, there might be a couple of people that go and find some replacement, um, but not, not, not what we really saw from a metrics perspective. Mm -hmm. And at Kevl, you know, you're inundated all day, every day with customers telling you about how your product could be serving their needs better. And there it's much more of a, exercise to tie what you're hearing from customers back to not only your business goals, right, from Kevl, from a revenue or customer retention or expansion from usage perspective, but really tying that back into helping make strategic decisions around how you prioritize and build or potentially say no to building some of the features Mm -hmm. that customers want. Yeah, yeah. I'm super interested, you know, um, in that the kind of dialogue and relationship and communication with um, with users and how you kind of crack that on the B2B on the B2C side, because every time I work with PMs who have some experience in B2C, user insights, feedback, conversations, it it feels like all that is kind of on difficult mode <laughs> um, or expert mode in consumer because I don't know, probably a lot of reasons, but the less of a like committed professional relationship with your product and more, yeah. Hey, I use this, but I use thousands of products and you know, I'm, I may be paying you a couple bucks a month um, as opposed to the B2B side where it's, you know, this is your director, this is your CSM, this is your, you know, quarterly check-in. Like it's more of a kind of, 
official relationship. What what's the secret to kind of getting that uh, dialogue and conversation with um, with consumer side users? Um, I don't know that there's any secret kind of formula. Yeah. What we found worked really well at Pocket was um, to do things that we couldn't do at scale, right? So I remember when we mm-hmm. first launched Pocket Premium, uh, the part of the product that I was responsible for, um, I literally sent emails to every customer that churned and said, hey, I'm a random PM at this app that you use. You upgraded and then stopped paying us. Would you get on the phone with me for 15 minutes to chat? And, you know, we offered an Amazon yeah. gift card in exchange um, and people responded. It was a great campaign. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the other ways we found that work to reach users is, is in-app experiences, right? So a little toast message that pops up and says, hey, will you talk to somebody um, at, in, at Pocket or at, at your company? Um, or sending emails that are personalized and like, hey, no, this is a real person. It's not like a generic sign up for this survey and you'll be entered yeah. into a raffle. It's like, no, hey, I'm a real person. Um, mm-hmm. and we, we would love to talk with you for whatever reason. And then doing that across your detractors, right? So you don't just talk to the people that love and use your app regardless of what you do, but the folks that are on the fence or the folks that are maybe stopped using your product. Yeah. Um, and you might have to send more emails, but hopefully you'll get really insightful responses. That's, uh, yeah, I got to tell you that that's music to my ears. Anytime, you know, anytime I hear kind of pick up the phone or send the outreach, send the email and get on, you know, get on a call with folks and talk to them. Um, it, it feels like it's never a bad idea, like frankly, and there's such a, there's such a push to instrument everything and, you know, kind of measure everything at scale. And absolutely you should be making that effort, but it's like, the those kind of one-off qualitative conversations even like you said if they don't scale across every customer like invaluable invaluable insights and it's it always seems to be more advanced product leaders who aren't afraid to do that at any stage yeah i think it really goes a long way and i mean i remember we learned so many interesting things right um even in Mm -hmm. uncovering like a bug that we had no yeah. idea. I mean, cause like, yeah. you know, the bar for somebody to reach out to support for a consumer app is so high, mm-hmm. right? Like you have to take the time, find, you know, I, I don't know. It's just easier to stop using the product. Right. Yeah. Especially if, you know, if your commitment is a few dollars a month or $0 a month, and if there are competitive options or other things you can do with your time, people are going to go do that and not, you know, go out of their way to, share their, share their insights necessarily. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And part of why I ask, I mean, it's interesting because it, it feels like a lot of, a lot of B2B customer relationships are behaving more this way, more and more, especially in like the PLG sort of bottoms up self-serve era where you're going to have a lot of users who are still on the trial are still only a few seats are still kind of kicking the tires. Like they, they haven't done some massive tops down org wide deployment where, you know, they've committed six figures up front and all that. Like it's, it's more likely that like, Hey, as a user, like I'm here, but uh, I, I can also leave uh, and, and go try something else easier than ever. So the, uh, 
the conversations, you know, and the kind of outreach and insight gathering feels, you know, more yeah. and more like what you'd see on B2B. B2C. And I think as more and more companies kind of make that transition uh, or intentionally start companies that are more on the product-led growth side, I think that's where data can be really, really valuable. And so mm-hmm. making sure that you're instrumenting and thinking about your customer sign-up flows, where the churn opportunities are, where you think people are going to get value, right? It's kind of like that Facebook aha moment that's always referenced where once yeah. a user added their first seven friends, they were very likely to use Facebook. Replicating that from a conceptual perspective on your B2B experience, sign-up wise or whatever, um, is a really mm-hmm. valuable exercise that even if customers don't talk to you, you might be able to ascertain patterns or insights about, oh, we, we're seeing a lot of drop-off in this. Maybe the testing that we have is inadequate or our documentation could be improved on this front or whatever the case might be. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to back up uh, actually to a topic we touched on a little bit, which is your finance background. And now that we're kind of getting into the data conversation, um, obviously a lot of analytical rigor to a finance background. I'm sure a lot of um, a lot of overlap in your role now in product. But I'd love to know. I mean, what are what are the couple things from finance specific tactics, ways of thinking, tools, approaches? that you, that you're still using today? I mean, I think the biggest one is to be structured in how you will help your business or your boss or your product group achieve its goals. So um, one thing, for example, an exercise we undertook recently in one of my teams was to say, Hey, we have this revenue objective for a new product that's recently launched. Um, we have these different ways of making money. What are the different scenarios in which we could achieve our revenue target? And what does that tell us about how we need to work with sales and customer success teams to um, help them understand what are the most impactful activities we can do, right? Mm -hmm. And so it led to this situation where um, it was a trade-off, right, between upfront kind of money and usage money. And Mm -hmm. we ultimately kind of ran a a variety of different analyses and came to the conclusion that, hey, if we could actually launch this customer and grow, we think that's going to be far more valuable in the long term, right? And it was like a really interesting conversation with sales to say, hey, we may have to, like, we could sign this deal now, yes, but it it may not be as beneficial to where where we think the company could go if they were to get this usage going as well. Mm. Um, so I think the the biggest uh, takeaway I've had from finance is finance is all about taking uh, things and putting them into Excel, right? It's like, what's your like your your cash flow, or your income, and then how does it flow through this um, the system? And I would say from a product perspective, whether it's increasing your number of active users understanding your funnel and where the most impact you can have um, maybe said differently, where to focus your time on running experiments um, is really critical in helping you become a much more effective product leader, right? Because Mm. rather than just focusing on active users, if you understand, Hey, we're using, we're losing 80% of people who sign up in our activation funnel. So it doesn't matter if we do a really good job of onboarding, 
the biggest impact we can have to active users is actually to go up the funnel. I think being able to bring that analytical rigor to helping you understand where to spend your time is probably the biggest uh, thing I've been able to take from finance into product. Yeah, that's no, that's, that's really great context and insight. And yeah, personally, every, everyone, what I've noticed, everyone I've worked with, with a finance background, they're very good at, you know, building models. And you know, maybe that's just another way of saying, kind of creating scenarios, but with pretty good specifics to them. And a lot of folks can make, you know, strategies and scenarios, but folks with that kind of finance or analytical rigor, it's, I've been so impressed because it's, okay, if we do this, the the numbers are going to look like this. And this number is going to have to look like that in order for that number to look like this. And then this is, you know, this is the path to a scenario that leads to X, Y, Z and, you know, ABC revenue. And you can sort of see that with detail and it's, it's so impressive. Yeah. And one thing I would add is that I don't think the analytical rigor is outside of anyone's kind of uh, Mm. abilities, right? Like this isn't super complicated math in any meaningful (laughs) way. It's like basic algebra and like running, you know, some numbers and things like that. Mm. And so um, I will say it's more of a mentality and an approach. And I see it in like partnering with our marketing team, right? It's like, okay, if we spend this much money, how many qualified leads do we need in order for this to be kind of ROI positive? And so I think mm-hmm. it's that mentality is kind of permeating across all parts of the organization, product or otherwise. Um, and the only other thing I would say on the analytics side is like, I think it's helpful to um, be able to be self-sufficient, right? As a product leader. So if you can kind of learn the basics of SQL to pull data from your own tables and like know enough to be dangerous and also enough when to pull in your data science partners or whoever. Um, I think it just makes you so much more self-sufficient, you know, valuable to your organization. And so I would encourage folks to kind of expand their horizons and try and get into all parts of kind of that, that side as well. Yeah. I'm smiling because I, I've got to tell you that has become such like a theme. And as you know, in any conversations, you're kind of looking for patterns and man, that is such a pattern in these conversations, like figure out enough to be dangerous on, on the analytics and data side, show that you're making an effort, even if you're not an expert, even if eventually you need to pull in, you know, the data scientists or other analysts to kind of get you over the line or fix yeah, your, like query, your work, quick, or whatever. fix your queries, vet your work. Exactly it goes so far to to those folks in those conversations if you've shown hey i really i really made an effort here i'm not just farming this out to you like i'm i'm making a serious effort to to understand and you know not just put work on your shoulder but to, to yeah, get someone like myself first yeah it's just any, like be curious right yeah any other uh any other tips for folks you know maybe if they don't have that um if they don't have that formal background in, you know, finance or analytics, how can they, how they can get a little more rigorous or tactical things people can do to, to kind of step it up in that front? Yeah. I mean, I think um, nowadays people have formed such great communities. I mean, launch notes is one, right. It's a, it's a great community of product leaders to share kind of interesting Mm -hmm. tips and tactics, but um, I know there's reforge, Um, which has like a product management certificate program taught by great folks. 
um, yep. from some good companies. And like, you know, like you uh, going back to my be curious comment, um, I think there's a wide spectrum of how you can up level your skills, everything mm -hmm. from finding communities of product people or data people or design people to doing something more formal, like a Udemy mm -hmm. certification or whatever, you know, um, the one, one thing I would say is that like university style product uh, certificates or leadership, I have found to be less valuable just because mm -hmm. they sometimes lack real world uh, applications, but you know, they can be really useful as well to take a product management 101 class at undergrad yeah. or wherever. Right. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's what kind of comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love be curious as just a sort of um, rallying cry around that point too. And that's some of the best advice I've gotten from analysts and data scientists on this front is like, find a question you want to answer, find, you know, think of something you've been curious about. Why do, why do certain customers pay us more? Why does, why did this customer churn? How did these customers find us? Um, and start diving into that and you'll have some kind of concrete backbone for your education and path and it won't just be kind of well i'm trying to learn out in the ether like right it's like intentional right yeah it's yeah. intentional it's it can it kind of puts gas in the tank for you too and um and and shows a lot to the folks around you um i'd love to learn more about um i'd love to learn more about kevil and the kind of product org you're you're running there and you know what you all are what you all are working on and and yeah what your what your role in product org looks like these days yeah, absolutely. So Kevl is kind of a advertising API company. So think about Instacart, you know, when you go and you mm -hmm. search for a banana, you'll see an ad for Chiquita that shows up mm -hmm. in the sponsored listings, right? Yeah. Um, that ad experience takes a lot of engineering know-how about how advertising works. Everything from how do you know which ad to show to the right user how do you keep track of who's seen what? All of the things that kind of go behind the scenes. And big companies like Instacart and others have chosen to invest in those engineering resources and capabilities to build out that experience. Um, Kevl lets that ability exist for any customer. So we have customers that use us for a wide variety of use cases, everything from sponsored listings like uh, Instacart has. So we have a couple of grocery partners, Dunhumby in the UK. Um, we also work with Yelp, Ticketmaster, Imager to kind of provide those types of ad experiences without having to have the ad know-how of and a big engineering team to build it out. Um, my focus at Kevl is to grow our new products. So if you think about kind of that ad serving experience as one product, um, uh, I work on kind of expanding the different products that our customers could use. So we recently are launching our, our efforts to make it easier for folks to get access to programmatic ads, right? Versus rather than having to rely on a direct sales team, we're focused on kind of a forecasting product that helps ad operations teams understand and make better use of their inventory and um, also kind of a self-serve extension to our core ads product that will allow our customers to 
enable their advertisers to manage and create their own ad campaigns. Um, at Kevl, we we are actually organized around business groups. So we have each um, in kind of the new product area that I operate in. I have product leads that have revenue objectives, and they manage a team of engineers and designers um, to help kind of do all aspects, not only of product management, but go to market, partnering with sales, marketing, etc., and taking those products from zero to one. Um, and so we actually have other product managers that report to my colleague, who's kind of the general manager of the core ads product. And what we have really focused on is growing the product management community at Kevl. So how do we take folks that are in product across all of these different product groups and build a cohesive vision of how do we want product management to work at Kevl? What are we learning across our customers? And, and how do we share best practices and uh, lessons across mm -hmm. the team? That's great. Um, and I think that's a great, you know, um, that's an, that's a great environment to be in, especially for folks earlier in their product career. I know that was a big, when I was at Atlassian, and I'm sure it still is, that was a big emphasis around just the craft of being a product manager. And there was a lot of kind of programming and, you know, culture around that forming and just making sure like, you know, hey, we may be, we may grow to hundreds of PMs, thousands even, who knows, but as we do, we kind of all have to be um, paddling the same direction and, you know, using, using the same tool sets here. So very, very yeah. cool. Um, and maybe that's a good uh, a transition to maybe kind of a final topic here for us, but I'd love to know um, kind of on that, um, on that topic, um, we talked a bit about you, your transition into, into product work, but I'm curious about the kind of rising through the rising through the ranks from, you know, beginning of product career to kind of manager and now leading a product org at the VP level. Um, I think a, a lot of folks are, are sort of eyeballing that as a, a path they'd like to be on too. And what do you think is the right kind of mindset to bring to your product career journey? if you do want to be kind of up there at the VP level someday? Yeah, I think, you know, I don't know that there's one specific path or something that kind of fits all. Um, mm -hmm. What I would say has served me really well in my career is to be open to experiences that I uh, never thought I would be, right? I never thought I would um, yeah. kind of be at a consumer app company leading their business, right? Um yeah. Um, and, and so, um, even if something doesn't fit kind of very neatly in the product management title or, or anything like that, I think I've seen folks make the transition from product marketing to product manager, uh, engineering manager to product manager. And so the advice I have, I guess, is early in your career, right? Like you want to do everything you can to make, um, your team, your manager uh, help reach their goals, right? Mm -hmm. And so learning about what do they care about? How are they thinking about it? It's a lot of asking questions and and trying to fit that into your mental model of how you would do things, right? And mm -hmm. hopefully you work at an organization where you can have those discussions to say, oh, that's, mm -hmm. that's interesting. I, I might not have done it that way. 
and you can have a yeah. collaborative conversation to figure out, oh, well, you're missing this aspect, right? Or, or this or that, yeah. right? Um, and I think as you progress, being proactive and taking ownership over making a broader impact to the organization is how mm -hmm. you um, kind of grow. So, I mean, the best anecdote I have is like, your manager will never, well, I shouldn't say never, but um, it's rare that somebody will say, okay, I want to promote you, start doing this. And it's much yeah. more likely that your manager will say, oh, wow, you're already doing that and operating at the higher level, right? And it's a lot easier to make the case to be promoted when you're already operating at that next level and mm -hmm. having more impact and thinking about, okay, well, yeah, this is how I impact my team, but how do I impact the team that I work with? Or how do I yeah. help? you know, make a broader conversation. And so I think having that mentality and thinking about, okay, how do I kind of help others do more um, is an attitude that'll get you really far. And then once you're at kind of a manager level, it's about how do you support people, right? It's a big transition mm -hmm. to go from, well, I have to be making all the decisions or I have to be in all the meetings to, I mean, my mentality now is like, get me out of any meeting <laughs> that you can. I, yeah. I really don't want to be in any more than I have to. Um, and yeah. enabling your people to have the information and the vision and the strategy that um, your company has and pushing that down. And yeah. so I think, um, you know, the, the best advice I have is just like, uh, try and do more and more to help your company or your team or your manager succeed. Mm -hmm. And, and that'll take you a long way. Is there anything that might be, uh, any, any points of, of belief you have that might be against, uh, against the sort of grain of otherwise conventional wisdom in, in the product space or, you know, anything that's kind of conventional wisdom in the field that you, um, you maybe push against or have questions about? Yeah, that's a good, Good um, question. I think um, the I realize best... that's a kind of a hairy one. I didn't prep you for, but it just kind of came no, up. No, no. <laughs> I mean, I popped think... up as you were saying that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you know, I'm. I really enjoy um, kind of Marty Kagan and kind of his inspired approach to product management mm -hmm. about de-risking. You know, business risk, technical risk, customer risk, etc. And I think um, maybe one area where I, I may not understand his approach or potentially I disagree um, is around the notion of like being opinionated about mm -hmm. product. Right. Yeah. So um, I mean, I don't know how controversial of an opinion it is, but I think certainly it's okay to be opinionated about product and have a vision yeah. about where you want to take something and, and say, no, the customer doesn't get it. Right. I mean, I think yeah. it's a fine balance, right. Um, yeah, but I think yeah. that's probably the area where I'm like, no, customers don't always tell us what they want, or in you know, I I can't wait. Um, yeah. From a, I have to pay people, right. I have cash flow, whatever. Right. So I think it's okay to take bets and be opinionated about where you think product should go. Um, yeah. Without necessarily listening to your customers. Yeah, yeah. You you can have conviction about some things without it necessarily being spelled out for you in a SQL table. Um, yeah. Exactly. Is okay. Yeah. Yeah. Any, and maybe, maybe sort of final, uh, more fun question here. Cause I just love to ask product people, product people are passionate about products. Any, any products, uh, outside of Kevl, any, any products you've, you've used or checked out either consumer side or at work with B2B that you think are kind of cool. Um, yeah, I'll go kind of off, uh, off the rails, I suppose. Um, yeah. uh, about 
five years ago, I got really into bread and pizza making. Okay. Cool. Um, uh, and so one of the products I bought a couple years ago is the Uni pizza oven. Yeah. Um, it, I have one. Uh, I bought yes. the newer ones, obviously, yeah. but it is an amazing tool to have in your bar backyard barbecue type stuff yeah um, and it makes yeah. really good pizza yeah it, it, i think there's like a high learning curve but once yeah. you get it it's pretty unreal no super fun i uh i actually grabbed one of those myself a year or two ago and um oh really yeah yeah you would you would fit in on launch notes because we're we've got a <laughs> we've got a few folks who are really passionate about cooking outdoors it seems but uh yeah cool 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 product and honestly great example of taking something that a traditional way of doing things. Like I, I actually, uh, worked in a, worked in a pizza shop when I was in high school and kind of learned to oh, cook wow. pizzas on those commercial ovens with like the peel and you slide it in and turn it and stuff like that. So like, that is like very sentimental to me. And then I got this, and I was like, how cool is this that I can like do this at home now? Like people have been yeah. cooking yeah, like right. this in restaurants, um, or, you know, uh, Italian grandmothers, I don't know, for a thousand <laughs> years, but now I can kind of do this in my backyard. Like, that's really awesome. Like, talk about innovation by just bringing something, you know, kind of traditional, uh, making it accessible. Really, really yeah, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, awesome. Thanks so much for the uh, the time today. Really appreciate you being here. Yeah, absolutely. Happy if, to do uh, if folks want to maybe connect, say hi, what's, what's maybe the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, um, welcome to reach out to me over LinkedIn. Um, happy to kind of respond and reach out and talk when I can. All right, right on. Tushar, thanks again. Appreciate it. All right, thank you. Yep. Hey, Blake here again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Launch Notes podcast. If you work on a product team, whether you're in product management, product marketing, product ops, or any other supporting function, go check out the Launch Awesome community. Hundreds of the top product minds from companies like Google, Atlassian, Twilio, and more are in the community sharing their expertise every day. This free Slack community is a great place to connect with and learn from real product leaders, actual practitioners who are in the trenches building and launching products at some of the most exciting startups and SaaS companies around. To join, head to the link in the show notes or just do a quick search for Launch Awesome and it'll come right up. Finally, if you're a fan of the show, don't forget to subscribe so you'll be first to know about new episodes. And of course, we'd be thrilled if you left us a review. Reviews not only help other people find the show, but also just lets us know which content you find most valuable so we can create even more of it. Thanks again for being here.